This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London outside view post-playoff podcast. It's a podcast where we, as Brentford fans, try to take a couple of steps back and instead ask the views of a football expert what went right and also what went wrong with Brentford's season this time around. My name's Billy Grant and in the studio with me, I have Mr Matt Allard. Matt, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Bill. I'm all good. Yeah, nice to catch up with you after last week and um, sort of try and break some of it down. Good, good. And I'm also delighted to have on the podcast for us the first ever time special guest, Ted Knutson from Statsbomb. Ted, how are you? I'm all right. Thank you for inviting me on. Uh, thanks for coming on, Ted. So listen, I mean, Statsbomb, you don't know, they're actually football analytics experts. They provide data and advice to teams to try and give them an edge. At Besotted, as you know, we're interested in how data is used to strategize not only matches, but also to the point how clubs operate. But instead of me trying to explain, it's far easier for Ted to let us know who he's worked for and in a nutshell what he does. Ted, just tell us, what do you do? Uh, I'm the CEO of Statsbomb, which is a sports data company. We provide the best data in the industry as, long, as well as uh, visualization on top of it for recruitment, for opposition analysis and for team performances. Okay, and, and you've worked for I me, mean, you work for many different clubs as well, almost like as consultants, is that right? Yeah, so I uh, spent two years uh, at Bradford and Mitchelland um, and then you know, came out of that and looked around for my next job, uh, started up my own company, realizing that kind of Moneyball was, was going to take off in the space. And uh, it was still pretty early, which is kind of interesting. Like, you know, I, I felt like the stuff we were doing at Bradford was, was fairly well known, but uh, it wasn't until like 2017, 2018, where we really start, started to see the data shift in football. And so we've worked and consulted with, you know, Europa League and Champions League teams uh, all the way down to, to League Two. And we sell to something like 50 customers right now. Uh, so we, we are seeing this, you know, really take hold in the, in the football world. It's interesting because obviously stats is, I say, relatively new to football. Uh, some teams use it a lot, some teams use it less. It's been quite difficult for people within football to adapt to, to stats being used because football is quite a traditional um, sport as it is. Or it's, a, it's a traditional organisation, it's a traditional you know, um, setup. 
So people sometimes have struggled with it. And we always get people, especially if we sort of, they say sometimes the only stat that counts is the ball in the back of the net. Forget this XG, forget that. How would you answer that? Well, Rasmus just tells you the table lies. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to repeat Rasmus sound bites for about 60 minutes. You guys will have heard it all before. You say the table lies, but, <laughs> but people say the tables don't lie. At the end of the season, they don't lie. Uh, not until the point that it's it's in the history books is uh, is the truth of it. I guess the the reality. But factually, you know, you're not making decisions just on this moment. You're making decisions on the next six months. You're making decisions on the next twelve, twenty four. And one of the things that Brentford have, have done really well over the last say seven, eight years is to make choices that set them up better for two years, three years down the road. And that's continued to happen over and over. I mean, just ask the question. I mean, surely stats, it doesn't work all the time. And, and if it did, absolutely everyone will be doing it. Is that right? Uh, I think that there's a lot of sort of contextual knowledge you need to add to it. So when you say it doesn't work every time, it doesn't perfectly reflect reality. And, and part of that is because football is a low-scoring game. Uh, you know, it's not baseball, it's not cricket, it's not even basketball. And that's part of the fun, right? Like, you know, the underdogs can go up against the big guys and, and really, you know, go toe-to-toe and come out with a result sometimes, but not most of the time. And, and really, you know, you're trying to tilt the scales a little bit in your favor. Stats and data really help with that. And you know, many of the best teams in the world are are coming up to speed on this and making better decisions now. And it's interesting because you say many of the teams are, you know, coming up to speed on it. They're making better decisions. Brentford, uh, you know, were relatively early on this. Obviously, Matthew Benham's got a stats company, which he used. So this is part of what he does. And he's integrated it into the football club to help us to get better. But all of a sudden, if teams are actually picking up on this, obviously, you know, we could be caught up. So what does Brentford have to do to keep ahead of the curve? Execute. Like just having knowledge doesn't make you any better on the football pitch. You have to actually figure out how to use that knowledge to to get better, whether that's stylistically, whether it's finding better players, whether it's selling them at the right price at the right time. And these are all things that Brentford have done particularly well. And, and, you know, presumably, as long as Matthew and Phil, et cetera, continue to be involved, they will keep doing that. But... You know, it's competitive space. Uh, the nice part is Brentford have made what probably a hundred million in transfer profits over the last five, six years, which has really kind of changed the fortunes of the club and who they're able to buy and who they're able to recruit and pay. That's interesting as well. And just question, just quickly, uh, Ted, the inclusion of figures, you know, you say improves the game. Do you have a sort of an idea as to basically how much better teams who use stats, you know, perform? as opposed to teams that don't? Uh, I think that's difficult to tell because sometimes, you know, a, a team owns an entire statistics company, like my favorite team in North London, and uh, and doesn't actually seem to use them that much in order to get better. So it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one to say, but you know, we are seeing teams get better using our stuff, but many of them want to do it themselves, you know, and it's not easy. And, and that's the thing that, you know, kind of gets lost in this. It's not just like a panacea, like football, you know, traditional football, that's easy, right? No, it's not. It's actually very hard. And, and competing in that space is very hard. You know, using data is, is another sort of competitive element, and it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So teams that have a head start in other sports have traditionally maintained that start for a very long time. And so you know, presumably, as you have your learning curve and you get smarter at it, these other teams that are taking on data will be able to leave the other ones a little bit further behind as they go. 
Okay, so this is interesting because this all leads into what we really want to talk about as well. Not that we don't want to talk about that, but this is a whole new conversation, which I think that we could probably open it up. And many Brentford fans will probably be really interested to know a lot more about how this works. Because I say as Brentford are having more and more success, people are becoming more and more interested on how um, we have used this slightly different approach than other teams to actually kind of get one step ahead. But we're going to talk now about our season, about Brentford's season, in particular the run-in the playoff run-in and the fact that we came close but no cigar to the end and we're going to ask the question after the break where did it all go wrong for Brentford in the end of this season so season's over what a great season it has been it hasn't quite worked out for Brentford and uh, there's a big question that we've been asking ourselves haven't we Matt as we've been talking over the past week we've sort of kept our heads down just to try and sort of kind of just get our heads around what's happened, you know, after losing the playoff final at Wembley, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I, I guess from our point of view, you know, we all we see is defeat and it's been a pretty miserable week. Um, but from your point of view, from someone who looks at stats, can you can you sort of judge the season? Can you break it down as to whether it was a successful season or a, or the season was a failure? Or does it sit somewhere in between? How, how did you view the season for Brentford? Best B season of your lifetime you may never see a better bees team than this and like that's just like that's me having watched a lot of games but it's also you know factually true as well made it to the playoff final made it within minutes of actually doing something else um yeah i I, and, and when we look at the stats and the data, like, it's a very significant, impressive season. It's really different from the Dean years uh, or, or even the Warbs years, you know. Um, the difference be- became that Brentford were extremely good defensively. And then the attack was mostly powered by, you know, high-fueled, very talented players. But, you know, from expected goals perspective, they didn't score, you know, buckets and buckets. And if you take away that 7-0, you know, uh, there was a 5-1 against, against Hull. And then, you know, some threes and some fours in there, but I mean, th- that's great for the championship, but it was the defense that powered them on. But I think that, you know, this year, you kind of got to just love this season, despite the fact that it ended that way. And then, you know, if you, if you come back 12, year, or 12 months later, or five years later, in some cases, like, you'll be very nostalgic toward it. Do you, I mean, I, I guess the next question comes is, is, where did it go wrong? I mean, can you put your finger on where it went wrong? Was it, was it, um, by not getting automatic promotion? Is it just the luck of the last 30 minutes of the playoff final? Where, where would you say it went wrong? Or is there a deeper message there? The second Joe Bryan goal, not the first one. No, so like, there's, a, there's a thing about Brentford choked, right? Um, Brentford had to win eight games in a row to get in position to quote-unquote choke. And that just gets lost. People are like, I mean, they could have not wanted any one of those points and then not been in that position. Uh, they had a huge heater as they came back from the break and, and were great to watch. And, you know, for me, I look at it and that's just like, you know, the timing of things makes people think that the storyline is there. But throughout the course of the year, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, that, if you think of the Birmingham game that kind of started off the season that had like, uh, what was it, an 18-meter header that was scored, which is like, I think literally the only one outside the box this season in the whole championship. Like, there's some bad luck involved in that. And, but, you know, credit to Fulham at the end, and I know that's painful, so I, I apologize for saying it, but credit for Fulham at the end for looking at David's position and realizing that he was a little high up. But the, really, the real one that sealed it 
was the the second Brian goal because like the B scored late on and it would have gone into to penalties at one one and and that one was a magnificent play and if you rewatch it as painful as it is that's a great fucking goal and there's no way that your left back should be up there <laughs> in the box at that point no possible way yeah that's just true I mean just look at it overall because again from Brentford fans point of view I mean I know that you said that you know We've had the time of our life. We've had the best season. Interestingly, all the way through the season, you know, we were, in effect, we were second in the, you know, you've got your charts, which you put your stats, people, we, we were second, stroke third, but, you know, for a lot of the time we were second in the in the charts, which meant that they always felt that we could always take that second place. We were always going to be up there. Um, now, so, we, so, in effect, the season was going to plan. So, the fact that the season went to plan, then after the, sort of, we went into lockdown, and then we still kind of, you know, we, we went from third, fourth to third, you know, to play. So we didn't quite get there. Does that mean as far as you're concerned, the season was a success for Brentford, even though we didn't win the playoff final? Or is the playoff final the kind of ultimate? Yeah, I'm promotion's the goal, right? So if you if you only look at your goals, you would say that Brentford failed a little bit. Uh, you know, third best team in terms of points and goal difference. Uh, second best team in terms of expected goals. Leeds were the only one that were better. Uh, came out of the gates a little rough, as sometimes happens. But you know, some of that was just poor luck. And right up against it, against a Barnsley team that got a lot better after they changed managers, and you know, that, that late, 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 late goal uh, kept them up. You know, incentivized there. It wasn't like they were playing somebody whose season was was over. I don't. It's. I have to look at it from a process perspective, as this was a success. As a goal perspective, you fell just a tiny bit short. And Thomas Frank, I mean, you talked, it's interesting because you talked about Dean Smith. And again, what we're doing is that we're using you, Ted, because you've just got, you know, you've got much different knowledge to what we have. And it's not kind of pointing fingers at anybody saying you're bad, you're good. It's just kind of just getting more of an idea and probably making us feel a little bit better <laughs> about having lost to Fulham in the playoff final. I mean, Thomas Frank came in and there were a number of changes, as you said. You talk about the defensive, you talked about, you know, I mean, we scored more goals than we've ever scored before. What was the difference, the main differences between Thomas and Dean? Uh, Thomas's defense is just much tighter. And, you know, it's not just aggressive pressing. It's, it's that, you know, systemically they were tighter. They disrupt passing lanes and they break all the time. And the, the break all the time is something that we, we set into, into place, you know, very early on. It's something we wanted to do. Warbs also did it as well. Like when you have fast front men that can run and you've got midfielders that can pass it to those guys and get them going as quickly as possible, like that is an edge and that's something that happens there. But Thomas's group was just much more defensively stout um, and, and Norgard was also like a big upgrade and one that we wanted from you know, 2014. You know, like uh, Douglas and Toombs, not the most mobile uh, <laughs> of, of, of players back in uh, you know, six years ago, especially as they're coming toward the end of their, their championship careers. And, and finally, Norgard comes in and he, he sort of, you know, solidifies all of that. And it was, it was really good to watch. Like, I can't believe that Rico played every game. Uh, so like, I'm, I'm looking backwards at like, what we wanted back then and seeing where they're at. But the, the reality is Thomas, was, he, he instilled a much better, tighter defense, made it so that the Bees only had to score one or two in a lot of these matches in order to come out on top. And, and that was probably the difference in, in their place in the table as well. 
how, how difficult is it to find um, a Norgard player like that? Because, I mean, it's fair to say we didn't do it for probably the five years you're talking about. We tried players in that position. But to find somebody that could sort of, you know, play the way Norgard does, break, break stuff down and also start to, you know, move the team forwards. How difficult is that to find players like that? The problem wasn't finding them, it was affording them. Right, so that, because are they highly valued in, in essentially in the market? The ones that we wanted were ones that can pass with, with length, you know, like being able to hit those players to the wings. Uh, and so, you know, we, we had Uli Seldes, who um, we really wanted to buy uh, in the summer of 2015. He was at Rosenborg. Uh, he went to San Etienne and played there for like three years at a pretty high level. But, um, you know, Mokocho, we wanted him early. And then I said I wouldn't buy him when they bought him two years later because, you know, he was kind of past that era that we would want him for. And some of his stats profiling had, had slipped a little bit versus when we first got him or first had him on the, the list as a purchase. But I, I would say that, you know, you can find these guys, but other teams are finding them too and need them. And, and the fact that the bees were able to, to turn profits on quite a few other players and then be able to invest in that area meant that they could find a really good one and then put him in the team. And it's interesting because you talk about Norgard. I mean, a lot of players say, oh my God, Norgard, you know, possibly the, you know, the best addition that we've had this season. But interestingly, also a lot of, a lot of fans, they kind of hark back to sort of the old days. And it's interesting you talk about Dougie, you talk about Tombs. And some of them say that, you know, our midfield at times has lacked that bite, has lacked that kind of, you know, bite, that energy that, you know, Dougie had, that maybe even Tombs had at times, which, you know, enables us to dig us out of certain situations. Would you say that's right? Or do you think that's just kind of like, putting your rose tinted and harking back on the old school. One of the things I, I found out well during my time at Brentford is that fans are often not rational. <laughs> and, and that's fine. Like this is this is not your job. It is not the thing that you study. Uh, but I didn't realize that when I first went to work. And so like, you know, if you ever go on the message boards after a loss, you're like, oh my God, like everything is on fire. Everything is the worst thing in the world. And and people's opinions about players are all over the shop. And I think that that's probably true in, in those situations too. Like you had a very, very good midfield, one that like most of the championship would have traded for. You got it for peanuts versus something like Fulham who had just, I don't know, a hundred million in their, in their midfield, even on the bench. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think that lack of bite is there uh, realistically at all. And a lot of that has to do, you know, look at the scoreboard right like you know second best defense in the league and in the championship when everybody else around you spends a ton more just before i mean you you bring fulham back in ted can you can you break down the actual the fulham game and say and say what fulham did well against us because like you've already said you know i my personal opinion is it wasn't that we choked fulham just did a job on us that day um how do you i mean where do you stand on that Best game I've seen Fulham play in, in ages and ages, having watched this, this league in, in six years super, super closely. Um, and they were different than that first restart game that, that we beat them late. But Harrison Reed was tremendous in that game, and, and he was the, what, the, the switch. Like Basically, when they took him off, then the bees were able to get some traction and start to run and scored that late goal as well in the in the restart game. Um, in this one, Fulham disrupted everything, like absolutely everything. And Brentford couldn't get they couldn't run, and that's you know a thing that happens. Uh, set pieces didn't do much either. I weren't giving up many set pieces. There were just so many kind of inside passes, not quite in the final third, but in in the bees or sorry in the Fulham half 
where they go to start play and then nothing happens. Like it just gets disrupted and then Fulham go into possession and Brentford can't aggressively press because they know it might go into extra time. So they got to save save gas in the tank and stuff like that. So it was a really good game plan and they executed it extremely well. Do you, do you think they could have, say Mitrovic had been fit and he had started the game, could they have executed the same game plan? Probably not. I, I don't think Mitro plays that game. I think he al- there's also the worry that he's going to get a second card at some point for being Mitrovic. Uh, <laughs> you know, being John Malkovich, being Alexander Mitrovic, also a very good head study. Like you know, it fits perfectly. Um, yeah, so I I think that Mitro would have, and Mitro wasn't super useful in when he came on either. Um, but I think that the Pontus and, and Pinnock like both handled him quite well previously, and so that would have been absolutely fine. There's kind of an irony, isn't there, that a lot of people were happy that Mitrovic wasn't playing because he's their top scorer, but but possibly that sort of laid out a route that Fulham could take into the game that actually really disrupted us. I think the rumour was that Reed was nursing an injury, and that was the one that I was hoping for. I was like, if he's not in, then at least this should go a little easier through the centre of the pitch, which means that you know, Brentford might come out on top. And you know, look, there was... There was nothing in this game. Like They were both really good. Bees struggled a little bit. Nerves were there. First 30 minutes especially, I thought that were a bit chancy, but they settled into it. And then, you know, things happen. And a little bit of magic, something that the coaching staff scouted ahead of time and, and Brian performs. And But that second goal is the one that you're just like, wow, where did that come from? And if that one doesn't happen, then it goes into penalties and who knows. It's interesting you talk about the players, um, you know, we say that as well because Fulham stopped us from playing, but also, you know, we've got players that can actually pull up a bit of magic. You know, Ben Rama pulls up a little bit of magic in some certain games, curls the ball in, you know, with a, if you want to talk about stats from an XG, which is, you know, is a 0.04, you know, something like that, which is 4% of it every time that ball is struck, it would have gone in the back of the net. But he can do things like that. Um, sometimes, do you think that maybe that we're even though we've got these magical players, you also become so over-reliant on them that if they don't perform, it kind of can really knock you back for six, and especially if one or two or three of them. So, same example, Ben Rama can't do those little skills. Like, you know, if Josh De Silva has an off game, if you've got two or three of those players having an off game, um, I mean, you might say they didn't have an off game, they just would stop from playing. But from the Brentford fans, because we've seen the way that these guys play, even if somebody kind of blocks them out, they can find their way around it. But we just seem to have had a situation where, yes, there was a better nerves, but also the players weren't quite on their game. And if they're not on their game, we rely on it. That stops us from being a 9 out of 10 team and makes us more of a sort of kind of 6 or 7 out of 10 team. Do you, would you agree with that? I've, I think that sometimes you have to credit your opponent. And, and that's like not just part of being like a good winner or loser, but it's also like part of football. Like sometimes teams do a good job against you and yeah, it sucks. And I, you know, the, the bit of magic thing, it's like collective magic. Yeah, it's it's not just one player. Many times, it's it's multiple players that are contributing. Like that Jensen pass for for the goal against Swansea. Like that's the pass is what makes that. Like, but if the run isn't there, then like that never happens anyway. Um, I I think that you know sometimes we get lost in that. But the nice part about having multiple players that can create magic is that sometimes they create additional magic above and beyond that. And and the the thing that I would say is like look at PSG, one of the biggest teams in the world last night. They spent, uh, you know, an awful long time uh, waiting for Mbappe's period to come back on, where Neymar was creating magic by himself, and it was magic. He was unbelievable last night. Like, and people will just lose it because, like, he didn't he didn't score those two goals where he's in front. You know, most expensive player ever in the world. 
that just didn't happen to finish two chances that looked like they were really good chances. Well, hey, you know, even the very best players of all time, like, don't always do this type of stuff. And we're still in the championship and we have some great players, especially for the level. But actually, you know, sometimes you credit your opponent because they were really, really good. And if you talk about opponents, there were two other key games, of course, that, that we didn't come out top on. And I don't know how much you followed these games, but the Barnsley game and the Stoke game, um, where do you stand on those games in terms of crediting opponents versus Brentford missing their opportunities? Yeah, so Stoke were actually like good all year, but didn't kind of come good and get the results until the end of the season. And Brentford fans should be used to that because Brentford had times where they looked like they were in you know the bottom six of the table, but reality was they finished ninth at the end of the year. And you know which one is the real real bees or real Stoke during that period? I don't know. And the Barnsley game was was helter skelter. You know, both of those teams needed result, and and they played like both of those teams needed result. And at the end of it, you know, Barnsley got it and it kept them up, and it was a, a huge difference for them. And it was super painful for for Brentford fans, but they got to to do it again in the playoffs, and that ended up super painful as well. But you know, they still. Yeah, I don't know. If if you go back to the beginning of the year, you look at this B's team and you say that you had 81 points, you finished two points off of automatic promotion, you had the best expected goals in the league, you had a great attack, and you had the second best defense. And you say, would you accept that right now as you get to go into the playoffs? They would all say yes. I mean, I agree with you there as well. It's interesting. There's a... There's a, there's a word that's used very much in the stats world as well. Um, we come to understand it, but, you know, it's the word luck. And I'm just wondering, could you just explain to sort of people out there how the word luck comes into it? Because if you just say luck, people say, ah, yeah, but everyone gets lucky. But it's actually quite a big player in, 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 well, in Brentford's world and in the football world, isn't it? I, there's luck. There's things that we call variance. You know, flip a coin. Like, we know that it should be 50-50. But, you know, you flip a coin... 10 times and there's not an unreasonable chance you're going to get eight heads and, and two tails, right? Um, what you want to do is you want to, you want to stack that so that as many times as possible, you can get heads. And, and Brentford did a pretty good job of that, right? They were like, I think at, at the end of the season, we had them as almost 0.65 goals different, which in a lot of years, you know, puts you right around the automatic promotion places anyway. So like they're right there. Um, but, you know, like Liverpool had a goal scored against them because it bounced off a beach ball. <laughs> you know, and, and like there are weird things that happen in football and in, in a game where like, you know, a single goal wins you a match, then stuff happens. And I that the Patterson chance is just the one that I go back to. Like that's that's one shot across the entire year that goes in. Brentford were hugely dominant there. What was it? Charlton also. There was a, a game. That, yeah. Lost one nil at Charlton, like just enormously dominant, but can't quite put the ball in the back of the net. And sometimes that's just bad luck. Sometimes you hit a keeper that's on a, on a heater. Uh, you know, like we've seen it. Like we're football fans. We've seen it. Um, you know, the models won't account for everything. They, they won't see everything inside of it. They're based off of uh, the big sample of how football works across, you know, and now we've got like 55 leagues we track. So, yeah, it's a, you can't put everything in there. And sometimes, you know, reality is different than what the, the computers tell you it should have been. <laughs> But it's interesting, again, because looking at Brentford this season, we talked beforehand how we were, you know, top of the charts, you know, second, possibly third, you know, in terms of XG and, you know, expected goals, you know, where they expected us to be this season. Whereas previous seasons, 
we've still been up there the whole time. You know, we've still been, you know, within the top six, possibly, you know, fourth within the season. And we've actually finished ninth. We finished tenth. It's interesting because other fans, you know, like the Nottingham Forest cans, they call us spreadsheet wankers, you know what I'm saying? Because they think that we, that we concentrate our whole life of what we, where we should be as opposed to where we are. But I mean, I personally find it really interesting. And I know a lot of my colleagues also find it really interesting as to kind of where we are. So previous years, we are rated really highly, but we don't finish as high. This season, it seems to be the other way around. Is this because of, I mean, we know there's a defensive issue, but also because the luck has changed over the years or, or what is it, or, or different personnel? It's the defense. I, I mean, it might be a little bit the personnel as well, but it's definitely the defense. Because if you're playing a higher tempo game and you're allowing more chances for the opponent, uh, even if you're attacking really well, that means that if things don't go perfectly for you, like we've had keeper errors in the past, which are very painful for me at different times, um, like that actually sort of bites on that type of stuff. So uh, by limiting the opponent chances, by having a better defense, it means that you're able to, uh, to have potentially less variance involved, which mean, and I know that these are silly, nonsensical mathematical words, but it means that you're kind of controlling your luck, the opponent's luck a little bit better. And, and that element of control is pretty important. It's like game control, right? Like if you force them to always go wide and they can't go through the middle, that means that you're probably likely to give up fewer good chances. And then Jensen and, and, uh, and, and Pinnock are both pretty good in the air, so like that works fine for them. Um, the defensive part of it means that you end up with better stats, but usually end up with better results as well. So interestingly, if the defence is as tight as it is, and presuming things are going to change, which we might come on to in a little bit, because they, they may things may not stay the same, they may change. Um, does that mean, looking forward, that Brentford has got a really sort of kind of, everyone's looking at them thinking, tell you something, they're going to carry on doing the same thing, because even if our attack changes, even though we might lose Benrahma, whoever we may do, if our defence remains as it is, we're much more likely to get a top two or a top six finish than we would have done the last couple of years yeah probably like you're you you need a little less luck a little less variance um so assume thomas sticks around and and most of the back six are, are around i think we'll see how that's true uh whether, whether that sticks but you know i think that there are at least two attackers that will go this year um and that's natural for brentford and what's funny is that brentford fans very much have gotten used to trusting the process but they did not do that before. Like when, when guys were sold, they were very angry about it and they didn't understand it and they were unhappy. And now now that like it's just happened again and again, they're like, well, yeah, this makes us better as a club, as a team, as an entity. But again, and you were, you were in the heart of the club then. I mean, you were in the heart of, you know, the, the, just after the first, well, the first warp season and just after the first warp season when we brought in a whole load of new players. And, you know, I have to admit, you know, you know, you know all the all the correspondence we had and the articles that we were putting up there. It was very hard for us as fans or anybody to kind of accept the fact that, you know, a player that you love who scored 18 goals is going to leave you after a season, you know players who are doing the business are all kind of leaving you because the fact is that especially if you can imagine a team like us who has done nothing for years and all of a sudden you're coming against this all this gold all these wonderful things and it's going to leave you and 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 also in, 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 in traditionally it doesn't always go right I and mean, this is a bit strange for us where we're not saying that all our signings have been perfect because some of them haven't been but it is quite difficult to get your hand and to trust somebody to say don't worry I know he's good, but we'll find better. And then it keeps on happening all the time. So I think coming back to this, how 
you, you say the, the process, I mean, we've been pretty spot on about getting it right probably 70% of the time. Surely it's got to go wrong at some stage. Something's going to, you know, some big move has got to go wrong at some stage. And I'm just being a realist here. Not if the same people are involved making the decisions and, and getting good information. So, you know, it's a combination of, of stats and data. You also need to have good scouts. Um, you need to have the right prices. And that's something you've got to be really careful about. As you're, as you're creeping up towards spending like five million, like you've got to be pretty sure about that one. You can make a lot of 500,000 bets that don't necessarily go right, but you know, that one or two of those pay off and suddenly you've paid for eight guys. You know? And like, but you, you can't make a lot of five billion pound bets on Brentford's budget and, and still have those go right. But the same people are still involved in making those decisions um, these days, at least at the very top. And they put in a, a pretty robust process that filters out almost all of the mistakes that could happen and that's pretty much why you see it and you know, factually like even even Warbs and, and Frank like ended up with some really good players that you know Matthew's group again kind of helped out with but you know, that that amount of money and what they got for Andre and what they got for Tarky and and even guys like Stuart Dallas and stuff then you know powered on the the future sales that turned into to Lhasa and turned into Rico and turned into I mean actually the guy the guy that was like hidden there was Scott Hogan like the double ACL problem and that one was like that was a bit of a gift like you should not usually have a 12 million pound sale on a guy that had two ACLs so I mean I, I get you know we talked about luck earlier um, in football I guess in the transfer process we're not talking about luck so much um, because because you are like looking at all these numbers you know that there's luck in games and then with this this isn't about luck so I think what we're saying is is that you know we should be pretty happy that transfers are still going to carry on being good you know of good value. I think that there's still luck involved, but I think that you know, you shift the the odds of like you winning the game from you know 50 to 60 percent more toward the 80 percent chance, right? Like there's still a 20 percent chance that somebody you know uh, tears their Achilles while running around the outside of the pitch and you know, jumps in a rabbit hole, like Lewis McLeod, right? Like wasn't a huge fan of that deal at the time, but it wasn't that expensive, and he just never came good because of like really goofy injuries, like Josh breaks his foot on Tumani's foot because like the, in like the first training or whatever on a, on a tackle and so now he's got a metatarsal problem and then never quite gels and whatever but you know like that's just football as well most times like guys can come back from that and if you get the right mentality guys which is something that Brentford have done better and better over over time and build the right environment like you can develop them into really good players and it is very much about paying a good price for the right amount of talent that can then mature into something pretty special. Interesting, just talking about the talent here and talking about getting the right people, we made a flip this season where we decided to buy players who are probably slightly more experienced, in particular Pontus Janssen. Now, people might say, or you'll say, everyone will say this has been great because our defence has been really tight. Now, do you think that um, this was a key move and do you think that more experience in the side may have helped us or may help us in the future? Because he's one player who's experienced, but do we maybe need a little bit more? No, I don't think so. I think the model is the model. It's pretty good. Um, basically, the the Janssen signing was, was sort of a, a sign that it was time. Like, there was enough powder that had been saved up over, over the seasons. The bees had a really good chance to go after it this year, uh, and and they did. And like, if you if you like Frank Thomas Frank, and you believe in that he's like the coach, 
then you know you definitely look at that front three even front four to some extent like Makonda's uh, Sergi and and you're like look we've got a five deep attacking force that's like really quite good uh, let's let's go for it and and I think that that was the first time that Matthews really made a signing like that I'm not Matthew but the, the group as a whole so listen we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Fulham game about players about Brentford and just about maybe a little bit about the future after this twain. Ted, I, you talked about the defence improving this season. From from everything I've seen, um, set pieces, well, especially corners, have improved um, for Brentford this season. Uh, wh- where do you view that? Do you think that's really helped us as well? Hmm, that's a good win. I have been frustrated by Brentford set pieces for quite a while, and part of that is my expertise <laughs> but but part of it is just like the execution type stuff so looking at the the league table uh and set pieces we're looking at cardiff and stoke millwall birmingham west brom blackburn bristol city sheffield wednesday so beast finished ninth uh probably having like an awful lot of opportunities that's fine but it could be better I think one of the things that frustrates me the most about Brentford, though, is like they don't take long throws. And like, I would watch, I would watch Michelin do this and score like four, five, six, nine extra goals in a season off of long throws, and Brentford just don't ever do it. And it's super frustrating for me, and I get irritated every time I see it. <laughs> and I guess it appears that Dowsgaard has got a long throw in his arsenal as well. He should, uh, you know, and, and Gronemark has been available and, you know, you can work with, he's Danish even, they speak the same language. It's one of the, the areas that we found is a, is a big edge that you could push that has just never quite taken off in West London, but has done very, very well in earning. Um, I don't get it. I think corners were improved though this season. I think we were quite high up on corners, yeah? I, I have seen corners um, get better, and it felt like they had a plan. And, and even like during the the final game, like it felt like there were some some decent chances there that just missed. Uh, Delivery is also a bit better. More guys that have a pretty good delivery on them. Uh, so yeah, I think that that has been better this year. But I think that there's still a lot more to wring out of that advantage. What, what's interesting is a lot of supporters, um, especially early on in the season, when it wasn't quite clear that we were improved, we had improved on corners. We're saying that our corner delivery was terrible. Um, we we either didn't make the first man, or it went past the last man, and it was never into the danger area. But is actually actually is that what we're trying to do? Are we trying to put balls in different areas, areas that you know supporters aren't used to seeing the ball put, being put into? Sometimes yes, sometimes like delivery is hard and uh, sometimes it's building resilience into your, into your designs for a set piece to make sure that you can control for a less good delivery. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Like without knowing the plan, it's tough for me to even, you know, pull those apart 100%. Like it used to be that sometimes the players would just do their own thing and that would be maddening as well. Uh, but they, it didn't happen at Michelin. I just think like it was a slightly different culture that, that didn't quite take off, at least while I was at, at Brentford. But I think now they're a bit better. I was not super impressed by um, the guy that ended up at, at City. Like I watched their stuff, and I think the results also kind of indicated that you know, they were kind of middling. They, they weren't bad at it. But yeah, one of the things that, that really frustrated Matthew in the, the, the last Warbs year was that he offered to bring on Gianni Vio. Uh, to be able to do set piece coaching and be involved and Johnny's like not a head coach had no interest in it 
but uh, Warbs and uh, David Weir wanted to do it themselves, and we finished, I think, second bottom in total set piece goals. And uh, and the gap between us and like even like you know top six there, if you make that up, it's the same amount of goal difference that would have put us in contention for automatic promotion. So, you know there there are things that, that you know Matthew and, and and Phil and Rasmus see ahead of time that are tough to convey. Sometimes I thought actually going back to the playoff, the the commentators on Sky were pretty honest about how they didn't see it. Like they were they were wrong. In, in 2015 or whatever when they were criticizing Brentford's recruitment and how can you get rid of this and how can you get rid of that but then they, they were pretty honest about saying like you can't you can't deny that they've just like done really well every step of the way and we just didn't understand it and that was on us over the season it's interesting because you're talking about you know again they use the word sort of fine margins and how we could have made up a little bit of ground we lost over a quarter of our games by the same result which is 1-0 now, is this normal or is this just basically just the way that we set ourselves up and in the end, it just, by margins, it just didn't quite go our way? A lot of times those were fairly early goals as well and, and the bees just could not get that goal to, to tilt it the other way. You know, teams bunkered. Um, it might have been a little bit of trouble. Like once once they are bunkering and they have a lead, uh, you, you can't run. And so that, that extra bit of edge that Brentford might have there like dissipates a bit. Um, yeah, but long throws actually is another thing that <laughs> creates chaos if teams are, are you know, having a bunch of players in the box. So, uh, yeah, those little edges do matter. But, it, you know, there are a lot of 1-0 losses here. Leeds United, Forest, Forest again, <laughs> Millwall, the, the, the ridiculous Birmingham City game, Charlton game, which is also ridiculous, and then Stoke. So, yeah, but uh, part of that is, like, maintaining defensive solidity too. Like, if you only ever give up one goal, that means if you score two, then you win. And so by, by making sure that you're always defensively solid, like you give yourself a better, a pretty good chance to come out with three. One, one popular theory from fans is about how you need experience to win games. And we touched on it a little bit earlier. But when, when, when you're valuing players, Ted, do you consider experience? Is that part of the value of a player or not? I think we consider the amount of time that players have played, but you look at Ajax that made the Champions League semifinals with a bunch of sort of 20 to 22-year-olds that have been playing for three seasons, and those players are experienced. I think experience is often confusing, and people just think that it's age, but leadership and at that level, having done it before, has a big impact. And what about winning mentality? Are you able to judge that? Again, it's another thing supporters talk about is if you have players that have got a winning mentality, um, yeah, I mean, how do you, where do you start? I'm, I'm, ma- I'm making, I'm making nonsense noises or motions at the screen. It's, it's ridiculous. Like I, these are mentality matters. Okay. Work ethic matters. Uh, wanting to listen and work hard and get better and improve matters and being a good teammate, you know, like people work with assholes at work every day and you don't necessarily want to, want to have to like fight through the pain barrier with those people because like, you, you know, they might not necessarily be, be with you, but you don't have to do that at your job. Most of us anyway, but these guys do have to do it on the pitch. And so having guys that are willing to work hard and, and be just like good people, like that makes a difference. But winning mentality is something silly, whatever. And another thing from this season, we came back and we played behind uh, closed doors. Um, so suddenly there were no spectators in the, um, in the ground. And you've touched a little bit on Brentford spectators sometimes. Um, do you think that that, that helped 
this eight-game winning run, or do you do you not think that played a part? I mean, where, have you have you thought about that? It's something we've discussed quite a bit. How dare you? How dare you question the fortress of Griffin Park, <laughs> especially in memoriam? How dare you, sir? <laughs> it helps to play behind fans. Uh, Brentford had a great run; they were really good. Uh, they had some teams that played, or I guess teams they played against that didn't care that much, but then late on they did. Uh, it's it's just a bit of timing, really. But I, you know. Griffin Park was a great place to play play football, especially when the fans were in it and things were going well. Uh, hopefully, that continues in the new place. It's interesting just talking a little bit earlier as well when we talked about you know the one nil results. We talked about teams bunkering. To, you know the problem that we have trying to break down teams who put five in the defence just to make it really hard for us. And uh, I know you were there. You know during the Warbs era, and you know we talked about the Plan A doing <laughs> Plan B is doing Plan A better. You know saying, but not necessarily having a plan B as such. Now with Brentford, I know that we've worked really hard to change this up, but also we still have found problems at times in trying to break teams down. And some of that is down to the personnel that we have. You know, it's no point, you know, kind of going long if you haven't got, have you got that type of player in your side because Brentford recruits a particular way. Do you think that there still may be uh, an opportunity to maybe kind of flip things up a little bit so that if things aren't quite going away, we can almost change our plan. I mean, I know we got in big Nick probably to try and get the big player up there and it didn't quite work for us, but maybe that just, you know, the personnel wasn't quite right. Is there an opportunity, do you think? Yeah, they should bring back Harley. He used to go up there at the end of games anyway. He <laughs> 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 used to drive me insane. I was like, how is Harley Dean like our best option here in attack? And why are we crossing a million times when we know that that's not actually... A very good way to attack. But yeah, I mean, those teams were a bit more limited in terms of personnel. Uh, you know, every team, except for maybe Manchester City, still occasionally finds it hard to break down teams that are deep um, at the back. And, you know, your set pieces and, and your long throws is one of the things that we found that would give you that extra edge. I really kind of love the idea of bringing on a talented big man late in the game against tired legs in the center back space, like Olivier Giroud. Like Giroud scored so many late goals from guys that were run to, run ragged by Arsenal's like smaller, faster forwards, and then he would get to to go against them and just be able to to monster them in that last sort of twenty minute period. But like that's a luxury that you know the bees probably don't have, and they need pretty much all of their their strikers to be able to fill that role. And so if if Ali gets hurt and you have to play with a different group of guys and one of them can't do the the same sort of stuff, like it does. It hampers your whole game plan. So if your if your plan B is twenty minutes, your plan A is is seventy minutes. You know, plan and plan A is pretty important. And and also just talk about experience. We talked about this a bit bit before. Just making a difference to the side. One thing that we did notice, and it's funny because it's not been really picked up. And and also as Brentford fans, we've actually really resigned ourselves. We said we put our hands up and said, listen, Fulham, better team, better tactics. They they did us on the day. We you know we're not bitter about it. I think it's been easier for us because we're behind closed doors. To be quite honest with you, we were actually in the pubs rather than the stadium, so it's made it a lot easier. But we've put our hand up and said, fair enough. You know, we won the battles against Fulham. We've beaten them every time in Griffin Park at their place, but they won the war at Wembley. So anyway, but they did something quite interesting because when they got that free kick, okay, the time they got that free kick, we didn't notice. That's when Mitrovic, I think, God came on. He got substituted. He came straight over nutted Marcondes. There was a bit of kerfuffle going on with him. You know, yellow card should be a red card. So that was happening. Whereas no one actually noticed that. I think Brian took the ball up and put it forward 10 yards further than it should have been where he took the kick. So that free kick would have been 10 yards behind. Now we were asked the question, is that basically why Mitrovic was sent on? To get a yellow card, cause a kerfuffle, get them a bit earlier. And 
are these the kind of experience that we're missing as a side which is still quite young and quite green and we don't quite un- know how to do these little tricks coaches literally could have just told them which is what they told Fulham players to do it's nothing to do with experience it's just about like finding the edges at the coaching level and then getting the players to execute okay i think that's i think that's fair enough but we had to we had to make ourselves feel a little bit better just <laughs> that they got the ball out of the blue so listen i mean we've had a really good chat this I think, I think it'd be good to talk about the future because listen we didn't get promoted this season as we know we came very very close um, from you, you know, as a professional in the game, Ted, you're very impressed with Brentford and you're not thinking that they're going to be going anyway. Um, you know, just looking at the future, you said that we're going to lose, you know, at least a couple of front players. We're thinking that we lose three, maybe even four players. How is that going to affect us? And I know it's all down to the recruitment, but how do you think it's going to affect us? Because Ollie Watkins, for a start, is a very, very good player. So we're going to have to replace him somehow. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's challenging. Like, and, and often it doesn't happen the the first year that you have to rebuild, right? Often it's the second year that you, you start to excel again. And sometimes you, it doesn't go perfectly. Um, so I think Ali goes, I think Saeed goes. Uh, I think that Rico might go to a Premier League team that wants a, a, a speedy left back that can defend. Uh, and then who's the other one? That's... Pinnock possibly. Yeah, I, I think I think Ethan goes. I think, I think Ethan's probably ready, but like he just... When you watch him, he strikes you as that type of player that's smooth enough and does enough good things that, that he's there. Um, but, you know, like Brentford have been awesome, like awesome at, at recruiting center backs, right? Like think, think of Esri Kalinsa, think of Pennick. Uh, Pontus kind of fell in their lap, but, but even so, like John Egan plays in the, in the Premier League, that was ours. Um, yeah, Romain plays in the Premier League also, that, that was ours. But- O'Con- O'Connell? O'Connell as well? O'Connell was... So O'Connell's a different one. Like, basically, we showed up. We had no records of, of anything. His agent calls, where I think it's his brother, and they're like, what are you guys doing with with, uh, with Jack this year? And we're like, Jack? Jack Jack who? And this was really the problem with, like, Frank's group kind of shuffling out the door and not leaving anything behind. Frank, Sorry, Frank Frank McParland, that is, which is with Warburton's, you mean? Sorry, yeah, yeah. McParland as, as the director of football at that time. So, like, that was a different era. And, and I, I, you know, I think Giles has kind of, you know, hand-waved over that before. But it was really just, like, we didn't have any ability to... To keep an eye on the low knee players at the same time as trying to rebuild the whole squad, uh, which we had to do because everybody was on three-year deals. Um, so yeah, anyway, I think that you know, Brentford have historically been really good at rebuilding, especially in certain places. And center backs, they've been remarkably good, which is a tough place to recruit. Uh, goalkeepers is a fucking crapshoot. Sorry for my language there. Uh, I, right. I, I'm right. having I'm having flashbacks to goalkeepers past. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> and then, uh, but uh, the forwards, they're always on top of it. And I think what's happening is like, you'll see teams extract a little bit better price, but Brentford will have a lot of options lined up there. The question is, how long does it take that to gel? Uh, but if Tom stays around, the, I talk to people still around the team and some people who work in Matthew's organization that have a, a pretty big impact over the years. And they've been really impressed with what Thomas has been able to do with some of the players, including De Silva. And so if Thomas is around another year, and that's a, that's a little bit of a risk as well, but I don't think you know, the Premier League has any high-profile job or even media-profile jobs that are open right now, then you, you've got a good chance of him taking those players, building them up. By the end of the next season, you know, even if they're not you know, at the automatics, they're getting into the playoffs and they're frisky and they play a good style. And maybe they add long throws and get a couple extra goals. I don't know. So tell us a player that you think Brentford should sign next season and why. Uh-uh. No, don't do that for free. 
Sorry. Okay. No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, I should have said. I should have said a type of player. You don't have to actually give us the player itself. But I mean, I'm just sort of somebody like. Yeah. I. You know, they they want somebody that has the Saeed mold, right? And then Ali is is a less dribbly type one, but faster. Like some of those those runs that that Watkins made throughout the course of the season, like 40 yard pace runs from deep that set up through walls and set up good chances. Like those are gorgeous. Um, I, I hope that Sergi comes back full speed. I, I love Sergi Kanos. And uh, I think that, you know, just getting to see some of the players that are already there. Macondes was the other player I was trying to think of that doesn't seem to have much on, on his contract left. But he feels like he's got a role next year unless, like, he disappears. So I think that, you know, some of the the replacements are already there. And then you need to find ones that are close to it and, and ready to go. You always need pace. Like that is that is something that Brentford can now afford. They'll find pace and dribblers, um, and then that left back. I would like them to be a little more involved in the attack sometimes. Maybe a, a pretty good cross on them. Uh, that might be a choice though, because if Dalsgaard's getting further up, then you need to to potentially leave one more back uh, to defend, especially one that that's fast. So I I'm looking at it like that. Um, you know, bees have been pretty good at finding talent in certain leagues as well. Like French two is a and, and just the French leagues in general. They, they were able to, to surface guys. I don't follow Brentford B that closely. Maybe there's somebody there that they can bring up and, and sort of continue that story as well. Do you think that um, if there are changes to do with the, you know, um, us leaving the um, EU and stuff, that that would impact Brentford on, on recruitment significantly? I think it not only impacts Brentford on recruitment, I think that they have to go back and completely reinvest in the, in the academy and start to produce players out of there, which they, you know, Brentford B is not the academy as it were like it is a collection of players that they're hoping you know can mature into into better players and it's an interesting idea um but i think that if if those rules change substantially then the bees have to to restart the academy and and the good news on that is they have a ton of expertise up in Michelin and one of the best academies in sort of per capita in world football and they produce like you know a europa champions league caliber player every other year up there so, you know, take some of that expertise, build a good culture in West London and, and turn the Bees Academy back on and they should be able to overcome that too. Last season, Ted, we improved on set pieces and defence. What do you think Brentford should be looking to improve on this coming season? I don't think they've got much to improve on at this level with the talent that they've got, to be honest with you. Like, they're right there and everything else indicates that they're right there as well. So I think that, you know, you roll the dice again, hopefully you replace the players with ones that are just as good. And Brentford are one of the few teams in the world that have proven their ability to rebuild and, and create, you know, create, fill those talent gaps. And if you look at the lineage from like 2013 onward, like there are a lot of good players that have come through there, but there are also a lot of players that they sold at exactly the right time that didn't necessarily do as well elsewhere. Uh, so, you know, it, the bees have done a great job in, in doing this over and over. And, as long as everybody sticks around at the top level, you gotta you got to kind of back them to be able to do it again. Ted, is the Premier League an inevitability and is, and is it just a matter of time? I think as long as Matthew stays excited. Uh, I think also we're seeing some of the, the financial elements really bite into, into football right now. And so many of those big clubs, you know, the ones that are not like Brentford, not teams like Brentford, uh, are, are ones that have overspent and made poor decisions and are now going to find their financial sort of firepower and ability hamstrung to some extent 
and that means that teams like Brentford should be able to continue to succeed. The only problem is that many times we we sell some of our big players for big money there, and so like maybe maybe you have to sell them somewhere else. I don't know. This has been a great chat, Ted. Thanks very much for for, for appearing on the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. We've been meaning to get you on for ages, and uh, like I said to you. Listen, it's, it's taught us all a lesson here. Listen, we didn't quite win the match, but we've come out of this podcast feeling actually quite invigorated and quite feeling really positive for the season. You know, basically, you know, you are a proper football expert. You're saying, listen, it didn't quite work out for you, but you still are, you know, you can still push up to the next level and there isn't much going wrong with Brentford, which I think is really great. What I really like as well is that you can see it in your eyes when you're chatting to you, Ted, the sort of enthusiasm and the sort of love there for the bees. And uh, we love anybody who loves the bees, like, you know what I'm saying? So I think that's really good. You bees! <laughs> there you go. We got it out of him. So listen, Ted, thanks very much. Just quickly, just let people out there know how they can get hold of you, what are your links, what are your podcasts, what is your websites? Yeah, so we've got a website, statsbomb.com. Um, we also uh, release uh, free data on there as well. So like, we've got the entire Lionel Messi data biography since he started playing in La Liga 2004-2005. Only place in the world you'll find that. Uh, we also release uh, free FAWSL data out there. Uh, so like, there's some cool stuff for analysts that want to get involved. We also um, you know, publish pieces like weekly to every other week right now. Um, and the... Sorry, the... The Statsbomb Twitter, you know, produces visualizations and sometimes analysis does requests. And my Twitter is mixed canuts, so K-N-U-T-S. Uh, I'm out there occasionally cheering on teams or complaining about stuff. Usually Brentford and and uh, and Arsenal are the ones that I talk about the most. But I watch a lot of football, even though I work with spreadsheets. Uh, so you know, you'll see me out there making commentary. That's right. Just quickly, how did you feel? Because Brentford played Arsenal in that pre-season friendly as well. You must have seen that as well. How are you? How are you feeling drawn between the two there? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's hard. I, you know, we also have a lot of customers now that we have worked with, and so my uh, my loyalties are are more often divided than you might expect. We have a lot of customer derbies in some leagues these days, and so like I, I now have to take a neutral approach, despite the fact that I might have done differently in the past. <laughs> Yeah, you did smile when Brentford beat them 3-2 and scored those wonderful goals, didn't you? <laughs> it was fun, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Listen, Ted, it's been great chatting to you. Listen, uh, listen to us on, on the Pride of West London podcast, the Outside View podcast. We're calling this one the post-playoff final podcast. Subscribe to us on all good platforms. And thank you very much for listening. Ted Knutson, Matt Allard, and I'm Billy Grant, Billy the B as I go. Have yourselves a good day. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Oh. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.